Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hey, what's going on, family? I thought that it would only be right, considering the topic that I'll be going over in this episode, to give a sort of forewarning, a heads up for some of you who may be very triggered by thoughts and sounds of of violence and gun violence or police brutality, whatever it may be. If those things are triggering or cause deep disturbance for you, then maybe this is a podcast that you'd prefer not to listen to today. So it's the spring of 2016. By this point, I had lived in Texas all of my life. And now I find myself living on the west side of Chicago. When I asked my pastor, the one who I'd be staying with for the next couple of years, I asked him which neighborhood has the highest amount of crime. And he said, well, what do you mean? Uh, White-collar crime, blue-collar crime? There's a lot of crime down there in downtown Chicago. What what kind of crime do you mean? And I said, man, come on, man. You know what kind of crime I meant. And he was asking a good question. And he said, well, if you're talking about murder, violent crime, it's this neighborhood. This neighborhood has the highest murder rate per capita in the city of Chicago. And that's where I'd be living for the next two and a half, three years. And I moved in the spring, though it was springtime, I say late March, early April. It was still snowing outside. It was still pretty cold out. So there's not a lot of people outside. There's not a lot of activity. And I was thinking to myself for the first month and a half there, like, you know, this is actually not so bad. It's pretty, it's pretty quiet around here, here couple of gunshots in the distance every now and then but for the most part it's pretty calm then after about staying there for about six weeks one night I heard gunshots that were closer than usual and that kind of perked my ears up sounded like it was on my street and then I could clearly hear someone a woman's voice yelling help help And I knew that those gunshots had to be as close as the voice that I was hearing. And so I peek out the window, see what's going on. There's already people out in the street standing around. And directly across the street from me, directly across 
from the house that I'm staying in, I see two guys standing right by the curb, hanging over a gate, a metal fence, just looking down the street what's happening. And there's a car that's passing by, and I'm sort of looking down in the same direction as well. This car stops right in front of my house, right in front of their house, and a guy gets out of the back seat. And he's probably 15, 20 feet away from the guys that were hanging over that fence. And it's through the window, so I don't hear what he says, but he yells something to them. And they just sat there and listened to him. And then he pulls a gun out. And he begins to shoot. And I watch the first two shots leave his gun. And I'm just looking in unbelief. Like it, it just, I heard, heard so many stories and seen movies and stuff like that, but I'd, I'd never seen someone pull out a gun and shoot in someone else's direction. But after those first two shots went out, like something clicked in my brain and I immediately thought, I don't want to see somebody die. This was sort of a curious and and, and startling moment. And I, I part of me wants to see how this plays out, but then a bigger part of me knows if someone's going to die here, I don't want to watch it. I don't want to watch somebody die. What's going on, family? My name is Joseph Solomon. I'm a singer, songwriter, poet, spoken word artist, YouTuber, lifelong student, ever doubtful or just curious Christian, frequent flyer, a breathing, living black man. Welcome to the Flights and Feelings podcast, where we thoughtfully and vulnerably travel through faith, relationships, sexuality, science, health, and culture via storytelling, poetry, and conversation. So if you're listening to this podcast in the same week that it is released, I don't have to recap the feelings of this week, the sort of back-to-back videos that we're seeing of black men be murdered by either a law official, or someone who imagines they are a law official. And and there's so much conversation going on around it, like from from black people, from white people, from political, conservative, political, liberal, Christians, non-Christians, whatever it may be. And and a lot of of the conversation is sort of uh, redundant. It's... 
it, and not even in a bad way. I, I get it. Uh, I think that a lot of the conversation is something that we've been sort of hashing out and rehashing out on social media platforms for the past, I'd say about six to seven years, like in a more heavy national rotation. But in all of that, I wanted to sort of look at a another particular angle of of the of the outrage of the tragedies that we see online and the stories that we hear about the mistreatment and the abuse and and murder of of black men. I want to address how often and how dare I say carelessly we share videos of people in their last moments of life. And I made a video about this on YouTube yesterday. You can check it out. Um, that sort of launches this conversation. So my main point is this, that I believe that the, the entering and leaving of life for someone, the beginning and ending of someone, their birth and their death are very sacred moments, which is why only certain people are allowed into the delivery room when a baby is born or why when there is a, a death on the scene somewhere, they, they cover the face up of someone. They cover the body so that people don't gawk at them in a very vulnerable state. It's a, it's a sense of privacy that's sort of been woven into our culture. This is why Kobe Bryant's family was outraged when his crash site, images of the crash site were, uh, were brought forth online. There was outrage for Mike Brown's body not being covered up and he just was left out in the street. There was outrage around that because we, we understand there's sort of a, a dignity about a body. I mean, even for the worst of criminals, Someone receives the death penalty. It's not broadcast online. It's done privately. They the the family can be there. Even family of victims can opt to be there. There's a sort of, but even still, it's a very controlled environment because even then, there's sort of this understanding that there is a privacy of death, and so some people have said to me. That, well, I get it. We want to we want to put this video out because, man, it'll serve the greater purpose. And and a lot can happen when people begin to see these videos. And, and that's where I'm kind of torn because I do get it. But at the same time, it's not it's not our choice to make someone a martyr for a movement. Not in video form, at least. I think they'll just by default be a martyr. We didn't see the death of Mike Brown, though we saw his body laying in the street and he became a martyr in a certain sense. But it's not our call. And I think that's the the point I'm, I've been trying to make is that as, as useful as the videos of someone's death can be to spark outrage and hopefully that outrage turn into action, the way that social media is set up to where 
thousands or even millions of people can see someone die, possibly before a family is even notified that it was their family member that was in that video. We don't get to choose the purpose of someone's death, or at least how that purpose is played out. If I can use this example, someone who is a sexual assault victim, we want people to come forth and tell their stories of, of, of sexual assault. And I think that's great. More people, it, the, the more people who have the, the courage to tell their stories and tell the truth about what has happened to them and how their story plays into a larger narrative of assault, particularly on a woman's body. We should have more of those stories come out. And yet and still, that story is still their story. You can't force someone to tell their story simply because you think it'll serve the greater narrative. Nor do we, we post videos of people's sexual assault. Granted, you know, they're usually done behind closed doors and not out in the open street. So it's less possibility for that to happen. But you get my point that even if we did have video of it, it, it would be an outrage to, to put it, to see a woman being violated thousands and thousands of times and millions of times on the Internet. We, we would count it as an outrage, but to see a, a black man be violated by a law official or someone who imagines they are a law official, and then to see them die in their most vulnerable way, and then say, yes, we need this because it serves a purpose, I think there's an inconsistency there. If the family chooses in the same way that Mamie Till chose for her son's death his body, his disfigured, beaten face to be shown across the nation and eventually the world just so that we can see how horrendous racism is. And that, that, was, that was her call. And thankfully, it was a very historical moment, a, a, a huge moment um, that remains um, very significant today. And I think that she made a, a great call. It was her call. She made a great call. And... Um, she gave a another sacrifice because here's the thing. She, she gave up her son's body to the men who killed him. But she's not required or obligated to give his body again for a civil rights movement. Though she obviously not, would not be wrong if she did, but that's, that was... That was her call. And so I just feel like social media has given us the imagination that it is our right to make that call that, yes, the death of this man, his the way that he was murdered in cold in, in cold blood in, in, in the street. It's our call to use his last moments, that video, and show it millions of times over. I think that, and I'm, I just think that there's a, an inconsistency 
in that way that we say we value the black man's body, I think that we can go a step further in valuing his body by not showing it in his most vulnerable way. Unless, unless his family has made that call that says, yes, let's, let's do this. But of course it's out of their hands. It's, it's like, you know, it's, Put it this way, if an artist makes music and then someone grabs that music, it gets leaked out. We've seen the frustration of artists being upset over their artistic creation being leaked out and used in ways that they didn't want it to be used. Or like if someone samples their song and uses it in a way that they didn't want it to be used and there's whole lawsuits over that. If someone could be outraged over their over their intellectual property being used in ways that they did not give permission, then how much more should we consider how a black man's death is sampled for the current theme song of a movement of indignation, no matter how righteous that indignation may be? I'm just, I'm just saying, I don't think it's our call. Emmett Till, 14, was kidnapped and killed allegedly for wolf whistling at the wife of accused Roy Bryant. I believe that the whole United States is mourning with me. And if the death of my son can mean something to the other unfortunate people all over the world, then... For him to have died a hero would mean more to me than for him just to have died. And so then like the, I feel like a light clicked last night for me. I feel like a light clicked in what we're doing with these videos. Again, I'm not questioning anybody's genuineness, authenticity behind their outrage or motivations for posting these videos. But if that moment of someone dying in their most vulnerable way, as brutal as it may be, as unrighteous as it may be, that moment, if that moment is sacred and private, A moment where a person is now transitioning from this life in an unwelcomed and unrighteous way. And then we take that moment and we put it on our Instagram story. Or then we use it as talking points and comment sections for people who who have not wanted to consider these tragedies for a long time. And yet I, I use his body again. I use another body as a debate point for somebody online that I do not know and who seems 
hell-bent on disagreeing. Why would I use his sacred body as a as a rebuttal in a comment section? And and y'all y'all may think I'm like I'm 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 overthinking this or I'm over exaggerating, whatever it may be. I'm that was a I was a real moment for that person and and, and it's gonna be a real set of moments for their family that drastically changes their life. As much as it may cause fear and uh, indignation and, and anger in us, it does so much more to the family who actually lost this person, to the people who genuinely knew him. And it's, and it's it's multiple narratives happening for them. The, the narrative of police brutality and disregard for black men in general, but but also there's another level of like, man, this just wasn't another black man for me. This was my son. And I know he's a black man all, and we're all in this together and I don't even want to create, I don't have to say that, I don't have to clarify myself, I'm trying to create division wherever it may be. Like, it's deeper than just a narrative for the family. It's they have their own narrative happening within their own life of who that person was to them. So, so for people, for strangers who have no immediate connection to them, we all have a connection for sure. And we feel connected to this, that the empathy, like I'm not saying we're disconnected from him and from his experience. I know it. Black man raised and still living in the South. And I've had my own stories I could tell from from early days of starting to drive and and just being a kid in this, in Texas. Like, I, I know it. So don't I, it's, it's not as if I'm totally disconnected from his story, but I can't act as if his story is exactly mine. His family's story is exactly my is exactly my family's story. And so they have their own narrative that belongs to them. And we take that. And we use it as, as talking points for people who couldn't give a, a damn about his body, about his life, or may just give one or two dams, but not a lot of them. And we just want to muster up some very temporal moment of empathy out of a stranger online and then they'll go on about their day and we used all of that for that just to just to try to win it to win a moment online it's pearls before swine y'all it is casting pearls before swine and some people have got at me for saying i'm using that verse out of context no i'm not using it's application out of context a very general idea what is the idea that he's saying that jesus is saying in this passage i'm not going to even get into an exegetical debate with somebody about this what is he saying however he's applying that saying the saying is this don't give valuable things to people who won't value it so i can use that same phrase if i have a daughter i can say or even my son i'm sorry for making that distinction i don't even have that conversation right now either or my children I can say to them, and it 
and it be true. Yo, do not give your pearls to swine. Do not give that which is valuable about you over and over again to someone who is bent on devaluing you or at best not valuing you. So the application remains true. Stop giving valuable, extremely valuable moments and people to people who will never appreciate it. Don't give that which is sacred to dogs. Don't give that valuable moment to dog. If we're going to use these moments, let them be used in more significant ways. I, I, I'm, t- I, I'm, I'm just, I'm just tired of, of using these, these men, these image bearers as we're, as rebuttals. Like we're, we're, we're tired. I know we're tired of having the conversation in general. So I'm tired of saying, I'm tired of having to say this over and over again. We'll also get tired of giving them to people. I'm not giving them to y'all no more. And what does that mean practically? I, I'm still trying to figure that out. I'm still trying to figure that out. So I, I'm not saying I have the answer of what that looks like practically and how we still move forward and raise awareness and all that. I just know I, I can't give it to y'all no more. We should have never gave it to y'all in the first place. Like maybe it wasn't ours to give, like, I, like I've been saying, you know. Like a, a rape victim's story and even ooh, maybe the images of their story would never be ours to take and, and appropriate it to where we want to take it. If they decide to extend that private moment to the public, then that's their call. That's, that's their call. You know, I started this podcast off with a story about black on black violence in Chicago. Oh, it's like a magic wand for some people when they hear of police brutality and they want to make the 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 images of it, the reality of it disappear. They pull out this magic wand and they say, "Oh, what about black on black crime in Chicago?" And that that defeats everything that you would, could ever say about a law f- official or someone who imagines they're a law official murdering a black person. See, y'all got black on black crime. So before you can even talk about this, let's talk about let's talk about the black on black crime. And having lived in Chicago and knowing the real efforts, man tangible that I don't, I, again I don't I don't even have to go into the details of it to try to prove something because I feel like I'm giving pearls to swine like well, well see this is what we're doing like let's let's prove to you that we really are working on black on black crime see so then now we can have this conversation with you like I you 
if you're someone who pulls that, then you're not even worthy of the conversation. Because the efforts and the trauma of people in Chicago is a valuable thing. It's a sacred thing. And it doesn't belong to people who who would decide to devalue it and, and, and use it in ways that does not appreciate what's really happening in Chicago. So I don't even want to have that conversation on this because it creates this false dilemma that you have to be outraged about one thing at a time. That's the false dilemma on one level. And then it's also false in another sense because it it makes it seem as if people in Chicago or cities that have crime like Chicago are not outraged or taking action about it in the first place. It's disingenuous, yo. You're far removed from the real people who are really losing people that they love and also the real people who are really doing something really trying and really sacrificing their lives to try to change things in these these torn and broken neighborhoods it's really happening so for you to act like it's it's not it's disingenuous you're saying it from hundreds or thousands of miles away from these neighborhoods that you bring up and you use in Chicago is just the easy it, it's a big city it's it's been nationalized in a lot of ways so it's just like an easy talking point it's an easy punching bag you don't know you don't know so yes there are people in Chicago and those who care about people in Chicago and, and neighborhoods and cities like Chicago who care and are concerned about multiple issues at once and they're not mutually exclusive and I think a sort of the watershed highlight moment of these two conflicts is Laquan McDonald who was shot and murdered in the street in his back 16 times in Chicago by a police officer and they covered it up until people on the ground did work to reveal that cover up so which one should we be concerned about in Chicago because it seems like you're trying to say well what about Chicago don't worry about the other national things okay both things are happening in the same city police brutality wrongful murders overreaction to black bodies and there's also violence that happens between blacks in the city. And they're happening at the same time. So I have to choose which one to be concerned about. <laughs> it's, it's disingenuous, man. Given the videos, not just online, those videos make their way to courtrooms. 
So I'm, I'm, I'm glad that the videos exist. Like, if I'm honest, if I see someone who's in, who's in danger, um, and their life is being threatened by a police officer, and it's possible that I can get it on video, I'm there. I'm recording it. I am recording it because I know that it can serve another person, I, I, another purpose I, I, uh, of justice. I was there. I'm in the area. I'll get it on video. One, I can't go back and watch it over and over again on my phone. Now, you know, let the law officials do what they going to do with it, because the reality is. You say you wanted to, to serve, a you know, a purpose for justice, but justice is not happening on social media. The place where justice in a very legal sense can be served is in the courtroom. And these videos have made it to the courtroom and people have still been found not guilty. So. What did. What did it do to allow millions of other people outside of the courtroom? To view their their dying. In such a a violent and unwelcoming way. They ain't do nothing. Listen, I'm telling you now. If I ever die in front of a cell phone, don't post my death. Let me and my family and whatever law officials that have to figure out what happened have those moments. I know that sounds selfish to think about myself in this space. I'm just trying to put myself in that position to try to understand and get some empathy and trying to put you in that same place as well. Because in that moment of wanting to, of wanting to live, someone struggles for life. They're not wanting to be a martyr for a movement, trying to be infamous I don't want my last moments to be on on the phones of millions. Me begging. Me afraid. The medical staff and my family saw me in. Let the, the law officials, the necessary folks in my family see me out. I don't want my mom to know her son's death It's on everybody's phone. Though they may never hear this, my condolences and prayers for the family of George Floyd and the many other unarmed brothers and sisters who have died at the hands of law officials those who imagine themselves as law officials. Obviously, I did not know him. I know I have friends who did ministry with him in Third Ward in Houston, Texas. And uh, they sing the praises of 
of his character and his kindness and his care for the people around him. And so that would be the lasting memory. The narrative that I'd like to hang over his name in my mind. And that wraps it up for this episode. You could be going anywhere in the world, but you're right here. So thank you for choosing the Flights and Feelings podcast. And remember to always fly home. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Atlanta, where the local time is 1046 a.m. For your safety and the safety of those around you, please remain seated with your seatbelt fastened and keep the aisles clear until we are parked at the gate. The captain will turn off the fast. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com.